In the world of sustainability and zero waste, there are an abundance of buzzwords that get tossed around all the time. Many of you might have heard of some like fast fashion, which is just a concept that describes how fashion trends come and go, and retailers are producing a huge amount of quick turnaround products to kind of keep up with our need as consumers for more, which unfortunately creates these harmful impacts not only to the environment, but to the garment workers as well, and ultimately even our own wallets too as consumers. And unfortunately, this method has also infiltrated other industries as well, especially within the green and sustainability movement, where green consumerism is not telling us to consume less, but to consume differently. But the problem isn't inherently in the specific products we buy, but in our overall consumption of any and all goods. The world's richest countries consume on average 10 times as many materials as the poorest countries. For example, if everyone lived like an average North American, we need around four Earths just to sustain ourselves. The real problem is that overconsumption is what is driving this climate crisis. Hey, this is Jordan. And this is Mimi. And welcome to the Imperfect Eco Hero Podcast. The series that connects community, normalizes imperfections, and empowers heroes. Is fast beauty the next fast fashion? With the steep growth in the consumption of beauty products, the fast fashion model appears to have been replicated in the world of beauty now too. In this episode, we'll dive into some exciting topics, like how consumerism might be driving the popularity of beauty products, about the complicated connection between sustainability and beauty, and so much more. And what better person to have this conversation with than the brilliant founder of one incredible new skincare brand, Aubrey Thompson. Aubrey is a clean beauty chemist and sustainability enthusiast living in Oakland, California. She has a bachelor's degree in chemistry and a master's degree in product development from UC Berkeley. Her company, Rebrand Skincare, is the first ever to offer refillable skincare products. You can find out more about them on her website at rebrandskincare.com or follow her on Instagram at rebrandskincare. Well, welcome, Aubrey. We're very excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So we're really excited to learn about rebrand and your journey with that. So do you want to start off with telling us what rebrand is? Absolutely. So the rebrand is the first refillable skincare company. Um, But more than that, it's really one of the only beauty brands that is focusing on sustainability at every point along the product development process. So we're looking at ingredients, packaging, the refill model, and then all the way to marketing and our product offering. We want to keep in mind how we can reduce our environmental impact. How did you... um come up with that, like the name and even just this idea? Yeah. um, So I started my career as a chemist for a clean beauty brand. And I I really love the idea of clean beauty and the focus on transparency and safety. But in my own personal life, I was trying to live more low waste. And it was just like, it didn't work. It was either I was going to use the beauty products that I loved or I was going to go with some plastic-free alternatives that just really didn't perform. And I just didn't see why that needed to be the case. So I was able to formulate these products myself to be up to the performance standards, but then be able to evaluate the ingredients and the refill model to make sure that it's something that would match up with a low-waste lifestyle. 
Oh, and then the name, the name. <laughs> um, so the name actually came from just meditating on this idea of reduce, reuse, recycle, and how we haven't really changed that motto since we started saying it in the 1970s. And so rebrand is kind of this idea of like rebranding that 3R idea to be more holistic um, and to really focus on the reducing portion overall um, and start from there. That's so cool. Yeah. I, when I read the name rebrand, I, yeah, I wasn't, I guess I didn't really think about the meaning, but yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious. Is this kind of something you always knew you wanted to do growing up? Like, I don't know too many people who want to be chemists in the first place, but then also <laughs> wanting to like take their uh, like chemistry skills to cosmetics is something like I had never heard of. And I don't think I know anyone up until now. So is that something you always kind of knew you wanted to do? No. And I agree. Like I had no idea this was even a career option. Um, so I just loved chemistry in high school. I started majoring in chemistry in college and I was really like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I feel like I either have to work at like a pharma company or, um, like do a PhD. I don't know. <laughs> and my senior year, I actually got an internship at Rodan and Fields, which is a, uh, more like dermatologically focused skincare brand. And I absolutely loved it. And same, I had no idea that this was really even a field, but I think it's a great option for people who like science, but also have this kind of creative or more entrepreneurial side, because you do have to think about um, how is a consumer going to respond to this? What would a consumer be looking for um, in this product that I'm working on in the lab? That's really cool. Um, I don't even think that's offered anywhere here in Toronto, to my knowledge. I had never even heard of it. No, it seems no. pretty niche. It's super niche. And yeah. Uh, yeah, if anybody listening has questions about how to get into the industry, I'd be happy to chat about that. Um, it There is no degree. So my degree is in chemistry, and then I learned everything on the job. I think there's only two programs in the United States that offer like cosmetic science in a college level. That's actually kind of surprising to me, even for environmental departments, considering the cosmetic industry has such a big um, environmental footprint or carbon, what's the term? Ecological footprint. footprint yes. Yeah. And so I'm surprised that it's not becoming, I guess, more, more popular. Um, I agree. And I hope it does. Um, at my university, which is UC Berkeley, um, they offered food science, which is really interesting. And it's a lot of similar concepts. So I do hope that it can carry over into cosmetic science. I do think there is a slight um, issue with being gendered. And so it's not as sciencey to some people, mm. <laughs> even though it's very similar to food science in the sense that you're um, combining ing ingredients according to a certain procedure to create a consumer product. Very cool. Can you speak to the, the refill model? You mentioned it when you like first talked about what rebrand is, but I'm really curious to learn about that. Yeah, for sure. So this is something that I meditated on for a long time, um, doing life cycle analysis on packaging materials. You pretty quickly come to the conclusion that there's not a perfect material out there. And really what we need to move away from is single use and we need to reuse what we have. Um, so I thought about how that might work. I thought about um, people sending back their packaging to be refilled by me. 
but that didn't make sense from an emissions perspective if you're just shipping me an empty bottle. So what I came to, and I think it's the best solution that I've seen, um, I've seen it in the home care space as well, is providing a 2x refill in an aluminum bottle. So aluminum is the most highly recycled material in the US. So this way you're reducing your waste to nothing if you get that bottle in the recycling. You're also cutting your emissions in half because we'll send you only that one shipment instead of two. And on top of that, my favorite part about it is it really starts building that circular mindset. And I think it's kind of new to consumers to think about things that way and not to consider things disposable. So I think it'll be a really good habit for us all to learn um, as we move forward for a more sustainable future. It's interesting that cycle, I've seen it pop up now in different industries. Um, a lot, like you said, with food and a lot with fast fashion. But, you know, fast cosmetics is definitely not something you ever really, you know, think about. I don't, I like, I'd never even thought about it until we discovered you. So I was curious, like, what, like, what is kind of fast cosmetics, fast skincare? Like, why don't you think people talk about it more often? Yeah, I think that's awesome question. And yeah, I've just started kind of using this term fast beauty as I realized how similar the impacts were to fast fashion. Luckily, I think there's a little bit less of a, a human issue as far as labor goes. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not wreaking havoc on the environment. And in the same way, it's all because of just ridiculous overconsumption. So we can have, even my company, where I feel like I've done the most sustainable thing, if people are consuming it at an unsustainable pace, it's not going to matter that the ingredients are renewable and the packaging's recyclable. Like, we need to slow down. Um, and I think that's the first step. And it is definitely what I think about when I'm you know, about to create a new product. Is it really necessary? Can I combine more than one benefit into... Um, a single product so that you're only buying one thing. Um, and I think, you know, people haven't realized it yet, but I think they're going to <laughs> shortly. Uh, there's going to be a time of reckoning as there was for fast fashion. And I think that brands that are promoting overconsumption that are um, mentally trying to get people to impulse buy are going to be seen as like inauthentic and not sustainable. That's kind of kind of like that's almost like the catch 22 of green consumerism. Like there's a quote that says like green consumerism is a bit of an oxymoron because it kind of forces you to buy your way out of the mess that we bought our way in. So, yeah, I totally, totally. get that idea of needing to adopt more of that. But I always find that so hard with um, green brands. Like I'm becoming more hyper aware of um, like I get from from a business point of view you want people to buy your products because that's kind of how you become successful um but how do you kind of balance trying to promote your brand and getting people to buy when they need to but not buy when like you said when they don't need to like to over consume like how do you is it in the marketing like how you how you market it out like do you have you tried different marketing approaches to to solving that problem Definitely. Yeah. I think there's a few strategies that have kind of helped me. 
One is, and this isn't possible for everybody, but not trying to take on investors or funding that is going to be against your values or that's requiring a certain um, payback at a certain you know, amount of years. Usually when you're getting investment, they want, to, want a 10 year exit plan. So they wanna know how much money they're gonna make when they sell your brand in 10 years. And that's just, that can't be sustainable when that's the goal you're trying to hit. Um, and so I, I encourage small brands that can try to become profitable for themselves at the beginning on a really small scale. Um, so they're not put in that situation. And then with marketing, I definitely think it's a conscious decision. You want to be available to people. And that means, you know, having a easy to find and good quality social media, but you don't want to be bombarding them. So I send one email newsletter per month that kind of just gives my updates, kind of reminds you if you if you're needing to buy a refill, but it's not like every other day, 30% off flash sale type of a thing. Um, and even having language on your website as like shop only what you need or Patagonia was the first one to really spearhead this. And that was Rose Mercario. And she was such an amazing business leader in that regard, <laughs> literally on the product pages. It said, do you really need this jacket? Then that's just like so revolutionary. Um, but I think that's like the approach that we need to take. And I think consumers are starting to sniff out greenwashing and they appreciate that kind of authenticity. Um, so I hope that that becomes the, the trend overall. Yeah, that's really interesting that you mentioned greenwashing because I think it is becoming more and more prevalent and, you know, corporations and organizations are using the language of environmentalism and of sustainability um, kind of to like cover their asses, but they're not actually showing up in an authentic way and doing the work, right? And from a consumer point of view, that can be really hard because like they their marketing team is so so well versed in the language and and so knowledgeable so they can really change their message or or promote their message in a way that they really do seem green and it's really hard to break through all of that language what kind of advice would you have for consumers that are trying to like um what's the word I'm looking for differentiate between like an organization or a a business like yours where environmentalism is actually the number one priority versus an organization where profit is the priority and they're just using the language of environmentalism to to up their game. Yeah, it is really tough. And um, I do think that the things that I look for, because I'm a consumer too, when I'm looking at a different industry that I'm not an expert in, um, that I can't necessarily read the ingredients or some things like that, Um, What I look for, number one, is transparency. So I need to see a page that says sustainability. This is what we're doing. Um, If that doesn't exist, then I don't buy it. Uh, And then um, I think minimalism is a huge part of it as well. So looking at the sheer number of product offerings and really thinking about like, is this too much? Does this seem like it's, it's very marketing heavy and you're just trying to basically like the goal of a marketer is to make you feel FOMO that you need something like, so if you're on a brand website and you, you feel a bunch of FOMO that's on purpose. And, um, that might not be the, the most green brand at the end of the day. It's not the end of the world though. In my opinion, this is maybe a controversial opinion. Like I 
think we should try to um, reach out to brands and see what they're actually doing and dig into their green claims. But the fact that many brands are realizing that this is a selling point and maybe their entrance into sustainability and um, they may improve over time and they may even have a bigger impact than a smaller brand because of their size. That's actually really interesting. I haven't actually thought about that because I definitely now when I try to make conscious purchases, I do, like you said, look to see if they're transparent. I know that there are like certifications, like certified B corporations where they do analyze literally every facet of um, the business to make sure that they're not only green, but they're doing, they're actively working on social justice issues. But like you said, it's interesting for the ones that are, you can clearly tell are just trying or just dipping their toe in in the green space and it's just like do, do we discourage them by telling them that they're not doing enough or do we just keep them accountable and tell them like yeah this is a good first step but what are you what are you doing next like you like so it, that's that's interesting oh. yeah it's definitely a fine line to walk. And I think there are a lot of different opinions than mine out there. Um, but yeah, I'm of the mind that if we as consumers are writing to these companies saying, I liked this, the direction this line is going, but I still think you have way too many products. Um, you know, that could end up being a bigger change than just being like, I'm not shopping with them. There's actually a lot of like consumers and even in like the political sphere as voters, we actually have a lot more power than sometimes we believe that we do. And sometimes a letter goes nowhere, but also sometimes a letter does influence and kind of shape the next steps, even if it's indirectly. So yeah, like I, I love that you brought that because I think sometimes people just get frustrated and just think I don't have any power in this, in this scenario, but that's not entirely true. Yeah. So do you actively actually reach out to some of the brands that you like shop at and like uh, want to get products from? Like, do you actually write to them and do, do try to hold them accountable, especially now having started rebrand? Yeah, I do. Um, I've kind of always done this, which may be a little bit dorky, but um, I think, it's, yeah, I mean, I get it from my dad. He is very civically engaged. He writes our representatives. And I just, um, yeah, I agree. I think one person can make a difference or at least make someone think think twice. Um, and I also think it's good to write brands that are doing well and give them encouragement and to know that their efforts are actually making a difference in someone's choice to purchase from them. So um, yeah, it's it's been really helpful too because for example, the most recent time I did it was probably like two months ago. It was from a zero waste store and some packaging that I received with the order was not uh, compostable or recyclable. And so I felt like, well, you're advertising as zero waste. So this was a little unexpected. And so I just wrote to them and I said that, and they said, we really appreciate that. We're working on a solution to remove that piece from the packaging. Um, but for right now we can't. And you just kind of, can understand where they're coming from and you know that it's something they're working on. Um, so I think it, it's a great thing to do if you have just two extra minutes to send an email. Mm -hmm. I know I've done it for companies that do like who've done really good things. I haven't actually thought of ever doing it for companies that don't, but I did it for um, a clothing company out in Canada called Anion and they just take recycled wool from, from landfills and turn them into sweaters 
and on Boxing Day and what's another what's the other big holiday where there's a lot of big deals? Black Friday? Yeah, they completely shut their website down. And literally when you go to their website, it says go outside, like enjoy nature. Like you don't need like and they advertised it everywhere. They were like, we're not having any sales. The the cost of these products, like they almost never put anything on sale because they're like, that's how much it costs to make it. And like that's like we're we don't want to sell you more than you need. And like these are going to last a lifetime and we'll actually if there's like a natural wear and tear, just send it back to us. We'll, we'll fix it and send it back to you. So you don't have to buy a new one. So like everything they have is, and so I wrote to them being like, this is impressive. Like, I love like everything you're doing. And they actually wrote back. And so it was really nice. And a lot of people like did it too, but I hadn't actually thought of doing it for the brands that don't do a good job, but it's, it's a good idea. Yeah. I love that. I also wanted to ask as a consumer, you hear a lot of like buzzwords and that's with any industry so like in the sustainable industry one is sustainability another is like the circular economy but you did say at the beginning that you wanted to create a clean brand and I just I'm curious to know what you mean by clean brand yeah I'm so glad you asked that question um as a chemist I (laughs) like that term it means nothing like clean does that mean it's not contaminated because all of our products should be clean. Um, And so I really respect retailers that have started creating standards that brands can abide by to say, I am clean by this standard. I think that's really helpful. I think some standards are better than others. My personal favorite is the Credo Clean Standard. If you've heard of Credo Beauty, it's a clean beauty retailer would highly recommend C-R-E-D-O. They have all this information on their website and their standard encompasses all sorts of things. They do have like a no-no list and it is one of the strictest no-no lists, but they also have other things they require from a packaging standpoint, um, full transparency throughout the supply chain. Uh, And it's just, it is a kind of hard caliber to hit. And I think um, it's really awesome that they're doing that. So when I say clean, that's the standard that I follow. I'd never actually heard of Credo. Credo, Credo. yeah. Is it an American? Is it an American uh, skincare brand? Yeah, so it's, I'm not sure if they have any stores in Canada, but it is a retailer, so they don't have their own products, but they um, supply specifically brands that meet that clean standard. Nice. That's okay. We don't have to look into this after. That's yeah. It kind of sounds similar to like the B Corp idea of like you have to meet certain standards in order. Is it a certification? Like, do you get the get it for your own brand? No. Um. No. So they. This is another thing I love about it is that it's totally public. So any consumer can go onto their retail site and read what their standard is and know that all of the brands that are being sold there meet that standard. Um it's not as challenging as B Corp. B Corp is a lot of time and it's it's not always possible for a small brand. And it also has to do with tax structure. So it's like, <laughs> you usually like have to hire someone to help you file to become a B Corp. Um, this is just a set of guidelines for formulating cosmetics specifically um, that prioritizes safety and sustainability. Very cool. I love that. Mm-hmm. Is there... Um... In, in that, is there like care for animal welfare or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So they have, they're not necessarily completely vegan, but they do require like full disclosure of testing and they 
have, you know, they stay like beeswax and certain things like this. We understand it's hard to completely move away from, um, but we love to see vegan alternatives as well. So it's, it's great. You can go read it, which is my favorite. Yeah. Some of these other standards are like by like lock and key. Like you kind of have a vague idea what they mean. Um, like clean at Sephora. If you've seen the clean mm. sticker on Sephora, it's, it's kind of unclear. They have a list of ingredients it can include, but I think there's like more to that that they're not making public. Mm-hmm. It's actually interesting. I was looking up a little bit more about the the whole clean beauty industry prior to this call, so I wasn't a complete noob going in. And I realized that like even just the words like natural versus organic can mean two completely different things in terms of beauty. And like one can you, one is used a lot more for, in greenwashing. So I thought it was really interesting that like even the the word choices that they're using can, which I thought were the same thing, natural and organic, but turns out they're entirely different. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's so complicated and um yeah I I like think as a personal mission this is something I'd love to shed light on so um definitely trying to you know make my TikToks and my reels to kind of explain some of these terms but yeah organic is regulated by a federal standard so that is actually quite difficult to achieve whereas natural has no definition whatsoever so you can slap that on just about anything are you serious i did not know that i had no idea holy oh, moly i knew or i think i knew that about organic i just thought natural also needed to have like some sort of regulation but i've heard organic is like you try your best to be organic but if you have to use pesticides you, like you do so right so even with organic it's a very like loaded word and like it's it's different the certification for organic is different depending on what geographical location you're in, right? Yeah. But I had no idea natural. There was just like <laughs> no definition. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, and even organic can be complicated. Like you said, it's by location. And actually, it really only refers to agricultural products. So that's why it, it was meant for food. It wasn't meant for cosmetics, but people started applying it to cosmetics. And that has led to confusion as well, because really only like there's a select few product types that could possibly be organic, meaning derived only from agricultural products. But something like sunscreen or a lotion, it's actually not possible to make that with only agricultural products. So it could never have an organic seal. This is probably getting into the weeds, but. Um, no, I love it. No, this I, is like, so I didn't know any of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are a lot of buzzwords, like you said, in every industry and cosmetics has more than enough of them to go around. Well, actually touching upon that. So you just mentioned that you actually make reels and um, like posts about this, I'm assuming on your Instagram page. Uh, what made you decide to do that? Like, cause I know one of the greatest barriers, even for myself in just making more conscious choices is that like you said that barrier to really understanding am I making the right choice like I think natural makes sense it sounds nice but like I don't know what that actually means so it's in a green bottle yeah it's like there's there's a recycling logo on it somewhere I think I'm I'm doing good there's a happy animal on it um uh but like I was curious if if that was also part of rebrand was that you also wanted to make Um, the information also more consumable for people who may not know or understand all of 
all of these technical terms. Yeah, I think this, that's a huge part of what I want to do. And um, I think there's multiple reasons to do it. Like, I want my consumers to make an educated choice to choose my product, not just because I convince them, like I want them to be able to understand. Um, and as a chemist who has worked in the industry, I think I have a pretty unique like lens that a lot of people don't have. Um, so that not only allows me to maybe reach people with new information, I think it also gives me credibility, which is helpful for building a brand. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and you know, the algorithm loves reels. So (laughs) (laughs) they really do. Oh my God. I've learned a lot about, um, how to social media correctly. Um, have you found that actually to be really challenging considering I didn't realize this, but you started your company literally dab smack as the pandemic started. So like, not only did you go on like this really big, like life changes as a, as a entrepreneur, almost like pretty much, but you also then had to navigate it in a, like a, the cyber sphere where like, it's also new territory. Like, like no one's ever had to do this for this long. Like how's that whole journey been? Yeah, it's been wild. Um, (laughs) Going on year one of pandemic life, but um, I, one thing I kind of realized is like, there's not ever going to be the perfect time to start a business as you probably know with your podcast. Um, there's like always something that's like, eh, it's at the right time. Um, so you kind of do just have to take the leap. And I feel really fortunate for the situation that I was in that I hadn't, you know, signed a lease on a retail location um, or something like that, where I could be selling my products through e-commerce. Um, and that, um, yeah, people are on social media that are interested in sustainability. And I think even that has grown a lot as people are on social media, learning more about climate change they have actually shifted their habits and made this a priority. So that's been fantastic to see as well. I'm curious to know, like as an entrepreneur, is it really inconvenient to prioritize sustainability? Um, Yes and no. I think it's harder than not prioritizing it, but there are some places where you actually like save money. Like for me, the refills is beneficial for me too. I only have to buy one package instead of two because it's a 2x refill. So um, I can pass that discount on to my customers too. So there are definitely ways where it actually makes more economic sense to focus on sustainability. Um, I think there are a few areas where it's challenging. One of the most challenging areas I would say is dealing with the supply chain. Mm. Uh, supply chains are so complicated for cosmetics. I mean, you've seen an ingredient list. You're looking at 10 plus ingredients um, from around the world. And they're not even, as I said, they're not necessarily agricultural products like straight from the field. So what, where did they come from? How are they processed? How do they get to where I am? Um, And as a small brand, suppliers aren't always like super stoked to work with you on that. Or in many cases, they don't actually know themselves. They're just kind of a middleman. So for sustainability, I think supply chain is one of the most difficult areas um, to work in. Yeah, that, that makes sense, actually. I feel like that's probably a common 
thing in a lot of industries, like in, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking about like cell phones right now and all the minerals and cell phones, you know, and how like the brand you're buying your cell phone from, they have no idea where those minerals came from, right? Because this is really hard to track down. And yeah, that's interesting. Have you found that as a consumer, your habits have changed since you've created Rebrand? I would say it kind of happened the other way around, um, which when my when my habits started changing, uh, which was probably during college, which was the first time that I started composting and, um, you know, started making those first swaps, started eating less meat, like that's what kind of triggered me to think there aren't enough options for people who are trying to, to live this lifestyle, but also still have the routines and the things that they love and not have to just make it all about sacrifice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have come a long way since I started and I think, um, the rebrand definitely plays into that. I have like a one buy per month rule. Um, and that goes for like skincare and clothing. So I only buy like 12 things per year. I mean, give or take, I'm again, it's not all about sacrifice, but I do think, um, having like being aware of your own consumption, um, allows you to really invest in things that, you know, that for a fact that are going to be beneficial to your life. Are there any, like when, when you're, when you're a consumer, are there any non-negotiables that you have? Like you will not buy it from this brand if they do A, B, and C, or you won't buy this type of product if it contains whatever? Um, I, I think it's probably, I'm sure I have that, but I don't mm. like written down, you know, like it's kind of just um, what my habits have become. You just kind of follow <laughs> your integrity. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like I shop at the places that I have done a lot of research in. Um, so like I was mentioning Credo, like if I need something that I can't make myself, I'm looking there um, because I know that that's a standard standard that I agree with type of a thing. Um, but I don't have like strict guidelines. How do you find some of the organ like the companies or um, items that you you buy? Do you like do you just Google them or are you constantly like on social media trying to find those those platforms like? I'm always curious how people find, like, oh, we found you on accident. And so it's one of those things where it's, where I'm always curious to know how people find these things. Cause I, I need to know how to search them up to sometimes, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think Google is a great place to start. Um, and yeah, social media has been helpful in some sense. Like, I have mixed feelings about targeted ads, but yeah, they know me pretty well at this point. So at least it gives me leads to go check out a brand and, you know, I may or may not end up um, thinking that that brand aligns with me. But um, also looking at some of the like bigger accounts and influencers in the sustainability space, they usually have a lot of recommendations. Because it can be really hard to navigate that, you know, especially in, in a world where like likes and followers are like a type of currency, right? Mm -hmm. It's really, it can be really hard to decipher between like influencers that are authentic versus influencers that may have like some other motive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think um, it is tough because 
for many of them, this is the, or has become their yeah. income. So like, I don't blame them for. Oh, no, not at all. When they believe in the product, but you're absolutely right. It's hard yeah. to tell. Are you just posting about this because it was gifted to you? Um, or was it something that you sought out because you actually loved the product and you wanted to work with the brand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I find like if you're following someone from like their beginning, like at, at the very start, you can t- kind of tell that they're getting products that they really like. But then if it becomes more and more frequent, you're just like, but do you actually like this or do you just need the money? And again, no, no shame or shade towards that person, but it just as a consumer, it can be really hard. Yeah. So I think some of the the people that I've like turned to or looked toward um, for some perspective in the sustainability space would be queer brown vegan he does fantastic work as far as love him he's yeah, right? amazing he, he also uh, Isaac Berkeley so um I Isaiah. feel like I connection with him did you know him no he's no. one year younger um, okay but yeah he's fantastic for also defining terms like he does a great job defining terms that are kind of becoming buzzwords or that you you know um you want to be, you want to understand to speak the lingo. And I think that's what he's trying to do is kind of break down this idea that you need some super high degree to be um, part of the environmental movement, which I love. Mm-hmm. And then Green Girl Leia is another um, that I just really enjoy her account and she's very outdoorsy. So it's always some inspo for me to like put on my hiking boots and get out there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think my advice would be like, just (laughs) type into Instagram, like sustainability, see what account comes up and like follow 10 or so of them. And then you'll unfollow the ones throughout the month that didn't really resonate with you. Um, but there, I, it's so exciting to see so many people, especially young people and more people of color in the space. Totally. Yeah. I can definitely agree with that. I'm curious, you, you talked about like putting on your hiking boots and getting outside. What has your relationship with nature been like, like throughout your life? It's always been a part of my life. And I feel really grateful for that. Um, I've been skiing from a very young age. So um, downhill. Yeah. Cross country. Okay. Very well, cool. Um, yeah. I actually snowboard. So oh, um, nice. I can only do downhill. Can't do <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I've been coming to the mountains since I was like three years old. Um, and then I also living in California have always loved the ocean and just being able to be near the beach or the ocean. Um, so yeah, I mean, California is really incredible for being in different ecosystems. You can be in the mountains, you can be at the beach, you can be in the desert, in the forest, like within like a three hour radius. So, um, very fortunate for that. I think uh, during the pandemic, actually, I've definitely picked it up even more. So have been hiking every weekend. Um, it's so rejuvenating and it really kind of is grounding me in like, what am I actually doing this for? And it's, it's really so that my kids and grandkids can experience these same ecosystems um, and not have to have fear or be like living their lives according to extreme climate events. Yeah, which is the reality for a lot of people already. So yeah, anything we can do to slow it down for everyone yeah. else is- Especially in California here. I was gonna you, say, yeah. yeah, 
you guys hit with the the droughts and the wildfires and do you find that that also has been hard like I guess seeing these extreme climate events because at least in Toronto I don't see them so I I like I hear about them I see them elsewhere in the world but like do you find that that's been even more motivating that those events are happening like in your in your state like just out like outside of your house yeah oh my gosh I it's definitely been very impactful um to witness it firsthand I remember one day I believe it was in September or October um where I woke up and it was like completely orange outside you may have seen this photo I saw the photos oh oh my god like um it's scary it's really scary um and I think the way that I think about it is like, I'll be, I'll be fine. Like I have the privilege to move away or to buy a really nice air purifier. And um, it's just tragic to think about the loss that we're gonna have if we don't, I'm gonna like tear up as I'm saying this, but um, it, it's, a, it's a human issue. Like we're gonna lose people and um, it may not be immediately, like they may not die in a fire, but their lungs are gonna be filled with smoke and they're not gonna have any other option. And um, to me, that's like the most frightening part. I, I try to be optimistic and think about solutions, but um, there is absolutely real fear there. Yeah. I mean, I think those fires and, and the pandemic and just um, learning more about these issues. I mean, last year was the record for uh, acres burned in the U.S., number of named hurricanes in the U.S., like record high temperature in Death Valley. Like, <laughs> it's not a coincidence anymore, people. <laughs> no. So um, you you do have to wonder a little bit. But um, I do think that a lot, a lot of people have woken up to the reality of it. And I welcome different solutions. I've always said that, like, if you have a more economic solution or whatever it is, like we just need to agree on like the baseline fact and then we can actually start discussing what we're gonna do about it. Um, so I hope this was the year that that got the majority of people over the hump to realize like, this is actually a problem that we need to address. Mm-hmm. I remember for me, what did it was, uh, I remember at the start of the pandemic, they were saying that with everyone in lockdown, that air pollution had gone down and that like we like the earth was healing itself but then at the end of the year they were like despite the pandemic it's the worst year like on record for uh like everything related to climate like climate change has gotten worse and it just kind of blew my mind that even with everyone at home for the most part like and like using cars less and and going outside less and doing like it was it's still getting worse and I'm like wow so we have to actively do way more than just slow down what we do if that makes sense and that was kind of eye-opening it's like I can't just stop driving a car or stop eating meat like I have to do something more to actually slow this down definitely and I think it's it's scary to think of like it on an individual basis I think mm-hmm. um, will go so much further collectively and I think like we're already starting to see that we're starting to see some I mean we've already been seeing some really incredible innovation mm-hmm. as far as car- like carbon capture and um, my like bible that I go to when I start feeling stressed out is project drawdown because 
this these are the solutions. So Project Drawdown is um, a research project that has a book and it's basically the top climate solutions rated by how many tons of CO2 they would be removing from the atmosphere. So mm, interesting. Have, I've never heard of it. It's incredible. So it's a book. They also have a fantastic website. It's drawdown.org. And like the solutions exist. We can do this. Um, so whenever I start to wallow, I need to like turn to like, okay, what are the proven solutions? I remember, That's awesome. I remember reading an article that said like, um, on, on the idea of like collective ac action, what Greta Thun Thunberg has been doing with Fridays for the Future and how Fridays for the Future has now like gone global that like there actually has been like a Greta Thunberg effect like she's at like what she did and what everyone's currently doing has actually led to an increase in like more people caring for the for the planet and that's also been what's giving me a lot of hope for the future is that like yeah one one little girl in uh Sweden just skipping school on Fridays has actually shown in research that it's had a massive effect on the entire globe so yeah, it's, it's yeah, um, I saw that article too, and I was just like smiling so big. So yeah. cool. Like, so everyone says, like, oh, protesting won't lead anywhere. Like, what can one person do? And it's like, well, no, it starts that domino effect, and then people start working collectively, and then that's where change happens. Hey, if you have any like helpful tips for people too, like anyone who maybe is new to going green, because that's kind of what we're trying to do is to inspire mm -hmm. people who might not know what to do. Um, so if you even have helpful tips of like how you got into not just clean, like beauty, but like everything else, like if you have any other helpful tips or like actionable things that people like could maybe do, because um, it's Action Tuesdays today. So. Yay. Yeah. So um, I think that's such a good topic. And actually for Earth Month, which is coming right up, actually, I'm not sure if this podcast will be before or after Earth Month, but um, on the Rebrand Skincare page, I'm going to be doing 30 days of accessible climate action. So one action each day. Um, and the goal is to show that, you don't. It, like you said, the green consumerism is kind of an oxymoron. You don't have to buy something new um, in order to take part in this movement. And you should really individualize it. Like what, what are the things that you enjoy in your talents? And that's like what you can bring. And I think that is really exciting too. So if you love doing research and reading, check out Project Drawdown, check out books at your library, um, and really educate yourself more so that you can then transmit that information. If you love doing, you know, low waste DIYs, like do that too and share the recipes with your friends. Um, it really, you don't have to do everything at once. Do the, the first thing that seems exciting to you um, because you, if you're trying to do everything at once, you're gonna burn out and you're not gonna um, be able to make the impact that you may be looking to make. I like the emphasis on doing something that makes um, you excited. Uh, one of our previous guests yeah. said that too, that that was what was missing from the climate movement is we always talk about what you have to give up or what you have to lose, but like being green can be fun. And like, that's kind of where I think many people need to start is what, what can you do that like you enjoy doing, make it green and then just roll with it. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And the other thing you touched upon that I love is that like there can be different levels of engagement and that's okay. You don't have to go from like zero to a hundred, right? You can start small. You can 
just, yeah, meet the climate movement where you're at, right? Where your, where your boundaries are and where your capacities are at. And, and you don't need to feel bad about that, right? As long as you're actively trying to do something. Yeah, I think the, the guilt is definitely a barrier to people getting involved. And I don't want that to be the case at all. Um, like, you know, everybody knows the quote, like a million people doing sustainability imperfectly. That's what we need. And mm-hmm. it's so true. Um, so anyone who's trying to shame you, tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh god it's so true well hey this is this is so like this is kind of why we had you on too and like what we're hoping to do with this podcast is to hopefully share that idea that there's there should be no reason to be shamed for trying like we need everyone to try and that's gonna be how we fix this and um yeah well it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast yeah definitely thank you so much i love talking to you too Thanks for listening to this episode of Imperfect EcoHero. Stay connected with us through our Instagram at imperfect underscore ecohero or email us at imperfectecohero at gmail.com. If you want to learn more about our podcast or see resources related to this episode, visit our website imperfectecohero.com.